Okay, uh, so I want to tell a little story about something um, that went down in 2007. Maybe you've heard of a singer named Bonnie Prince Billy. Guy, it's a stage name for a guy named Will Oldham, who had different kinds of names throughout his music career, including uh, Palace Brothers, Palace Music. Uh, he went by his own name, Will Oldham, and uh, but he's more well-known under the name Bonnie Prince Billy, kind of a folk, country, rock, independent artist, unique individual, nice guy, um, and he's probably most well known in the fact that he, uh, into the general public, in that he worked, he collaborated once with Johnny Cash, but Bonnie Prince Billy in independent music uh, circles, uh, for those who know about him, you know, he's very much appreciated, Bonnie Prince Billy is a big deal. In 2007, something that was a big deal for me happened in that living here in this place called Jerusalem, Israel, this uh, place, um, unique place in the world that can feel sometimes uh, less and less uh, as the days go by, but still somewhat removed from other cultural expressions around the world. It was a big deal to hear that in 2007, Bonnie Prince Billy was coming to our country. He's coming to Israel. Bonnie Prince Billy coming to Israel. Thanks to Amir Shore and Fast Music, these producers who, who put on an event and brought Bonnie Prince Billy to Israel. Okay, and uh, they, 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 were, they were just getting into the foray of bringing uh, these independent artists in a way that really no one was doing. Uh, in Israel, no one was bringing these artists, artists that were uh, that were not uh, internationally well known. They weren't, you know, big names. But in indie music, they were big names. They were really big names in indie music. And these guys uh, over at Fast Music in Tel Aviv had, you know, the initiative and the passion to bring these artists. Uh, just the the year before, they had brought uh, Silver Jews, uh, which um, again, if you know Silver Jews was a big deal for us. It was like uh, Silver Jew's uh, first tour ever. And um, and they came all the way to Israel. It was really interesting because they played on the day or the day after a war broke out, the Second Lebanon War. So there's a whole interesting story there. But let's talk about Bonnie Prince Billy. Bonnie Prince Billy comes to Tel Aviv or is on his way to Tel Aviv. And this guy here is talking to you, me. I get this idea in my head. I say, well, why not bring Bonnie Prince Billy to Jerusalem? He's going to Tel Aviv. He's going to perform in Tel Aviv. Why not bring him to Jerusalem? Now, if you want to know the difference between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, uh, Tel Aviv is on the west coast of Israel. Jerusalem is on the east side of Israel. But the distance between the two is about an hour drive. It's not the biggest distance in the world. Uh, So if you want to go see Bonnie Prince Billy, it's not a big deal just to hop in a car and drive an hour to go to Tel Aviv and see him. I know people who drive much farther to go see their favorite bands, and whoever get, who get on planes and flying go to other countries to see their favorite bands. But I, in my mind, I just thought that there's no way that this guy is going to come to Israel and he's not going to be in Jerusalem, not going to perform in Jerusalem. So I got this plan together where I would bring Bonnie Prince Billy to perform in Jerusalem. And this plan uh, had all kinds of things to it, and it had some mixed results, but it was an interesting experience. 
It also involved uh, myself as a musician, together with uh, my collaborators, to share the stage with Bonnie Prince Billy to, to, to open for him. Um, you know, uh, before he uh, before he went on, which was a lot of exposure for us, and it was a big deal. Um, but as this plan progressed, um, I had to find you know I, I had to uh, fork up the, the cash to uh, to put on an event like this, and that was a story in and of itself. I uh, needed to find a venue, a venue that was worthy of an artist uh, that was pretty internationally known. I mean, not huge. We're not talking uh, super huge artist, but very well known. And again, if you know who I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. I decided to find a very high quality venue that happened to belong to my community, to my faith-based community, to my congregation. Uh, in, in, you know, I don't like to use the word church. It's not really what it is. But it's comparative, uh, you know, someone's local church or local synagogue has the resources, if, if so, to hire, uh, to, to uh, present an international artist. And in my case, uh, we did. Now, uh, this is something that my uh, congregation did. They own or they had this facility that was used for various cultural events, various cultural events. And this is not uncommon. Many uh, congregational settings uh, will do this. They will allow other people to use the building. Uh, it's a transactional business thing. And um, so we, uh, you know, I set it up so uh, Bonnie Prince William can come perform in this concert hall. And the thing is this. This is, this is where the story gets interesting. It's a cultural event, but not a nightclub. And I'm setting up this concert and, you know, printing flyers, doing publicity, uh, dealing with the, 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 the ticket sales and all kinds of stuff, and practicing because I'm going to hit the stage. And I get a conversation, uh, I get in the phone call with uh, Amir, the guy who um, put, on the, put, put on the Bonnie Prince Billy show in Tel Aviv, and he said, this very relatively simple sentence to me that caused me a much larger challenge. Simple sentence, but it, ca it caused me a little bit of a larger challenge. And he said, if you give him some whiskey, he'll play more. Okay? So, if you give him some whiskey, he'll play more. He'll play for longer. So, I, this isn't the most unusual uh, situation in the music world. Somebody is a... Um, talented singer-songwriter, and he happens to go in the folk kind of country vein of music. And so culturally, it wouldn't be that odd if the person, you know, had a little bit of Jack Daniels or something. Uh, I, don't, I don't know a lot of names of whiskey, but if the guy was, you know, had a little bit of whiskey on stage, the guy was sipping a little bit of it uh, as, he as he bears his heart and tells the stories. So it was a very simple request from Amir to me, you know, just hook the guy up with some whiskey. But for me, it wasn't that simple. Here I am hosting an event in my own congregation uh, in a place that uh, does not uh, offer alcohol. It's not the kind of place where alcohol is consumed. It's not the kind of place where alcohol is encouraged. And so I'm trying to think, how in the world do I get a bottle of whiskey to this guy? First and foremost, I have to talk about my personal 
uh, uh, response uh, to whiskey. I don't really have anything against whiskey. I think I could probably say the same thing that everybody says. It's okay in moderation, right? This is really important. Listen, it's okay in moderation. Because today I want to talk about what that moderation is. How is that moderation defined? Who defines moderation? Whiskey is okay in moderation. And I totally think that way. Today, I do not drink whiskey. Uh, actually, you know, today talking to you, I do not drink any alcohol for health reasons. That's just where I'm at in life. But I don't have a problem with it. And as I began to mull over this thing, uh, I did something that wasn't really helpful. And I called the pastor who was in charge of, uh, at least in a pastoral way, he wasn't in charge of every logistic element, but he was in charge of this whole facility. And I began explaining, look, the producer called me and said that the guy needs to have some whiskey and to get a whiskey on stage, you know. And the pastor that I talked with, he did something that I really appreciated. Not at the time, but, but today I really appreciate I'm really impressed. He said, stop. I don't want to hear anymore. I don't want to know about it. He, he, he just said, stop. I don't want to hear anymore. I don't want to know about it. He doesn't want to think of the ins and outs of giving somebody whiskey or not and getting into all this. He, he wanted me to deal with it. And uh, at the moment, it was frustrating, but later on, I realized, you know, I got to deal with this. I got to deal with this issue. Uh, I don't have to bother somebody about it. In the end, I don't think we gave him whiskey. I don't think he played longer, but he did go to a great show. He, did, he was a professional, showed up with his band, hardworking band, and played. Now... Why all the stress and awkwardness about simply giving somebody a glass of whiskey? Why make such a big deal about it? This is where I really started to think. Now, everybody on my end of the production, me, the pastor, other people involved with logistics of the building, all sharing my faith, all members of the same faith-based community, none of us had a problem with alcohol. None of us had a problem with whiskey. Nobody had a problem with that. Yet, we had a problem with giving somebody whiskey on stage. What's the difference? Why did I make a big deal about it? And I began to think, and I began to think, and I began to think, and I came to a conclusion. That whiskey, on my side of the fence, is enjoyed in the context of community. Alcohol is consumed in the context of community. It is consumed uh, in, in regards to celebration and relaxation, uh, socially. Uh, again, a community expression. And that is what serves to define what is moderation. Again, drinking is okay as long as it's in moderation, right? What defines moderation? The community setting defines moderation on my side of the fence. But on the other side of the fence, uh, Tel Aviv, the producer, the rock club that he bought into, uh, Bonnie Prince Billy, what defines moderation there? On that end, alcohol is not consumed in a community setting. Alcohol is consumed in a transactional setting. Alcohol is consumed at a bar or a club. And in fact, the club that hosted uh, Bonnie Prince Billy over in Tel Aviv, of course, you know, served alcohol 
for a transactional thing. It wasn't like a community like, hey, friends of the indie music community, here is some alcohol because we're all celebrating together. Don't pay me for it. Well, you know, this is this is a community expression. No, that's not the case. This there's a this is a, 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 a you know any rock scene that has to that has to sell drinks just to keep the roof over their heads. They have to do something transactional just to keep the ball rolling, just to keep the business going. And there's a difference between consuming alcohol in a community setting, and there's a difference between consuming alcohol in a transactional setting. Moderation is defined in the transactional setting and not in the community setting. If someone gets a little tipsy in the community setting, you can say, whoa, we don't do that over here. But if someone gets a tipsy in the transactional setting, we can say, okay, as long as the guy's not, you know, uh, breaking chairs over people's heads. As long as the guy hasn't gotten to levels of violence. And so on and so forth. There's a lot that can be said about this. But what's the difference between a transactional setting and a community setting? This is what I'm getting at a transactional setting and a community setting. What do we want? We want not to experience transaction ultimately. Transaction is okay. I want to um, uh, play my music and get paid. I want to do my art and get paid. I want transaction. But there's something you want more than transaction, and that's transformation. And a community, however uh, good it is, you know, for better or for worse, is meant to provide transformation. A community is meant to provide transformation, to transform babies into children, children into older children, older children into men and women, men and women into parents, parents into grandparents into older. It, 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 a community is with us through the transitions of life to help us transform, to help us uh, uh, transcend even, to go higher and to grow. But a transactional setting, it's all ones and zeros. It's all, uh, you know, it grows as, as long as the supply and demand grows. It's economical. It's, it's contained within this transactional world and doesn't always break free to the transformational or transcendental worlds. Sometimes it changes lives. There's a lot of things that can, good that can come from transactional relationships, but it's governed by transactional rules. So this is, I'm really passionate about this, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. But I just want to let you know, it's Adam Rosenfeld here. You're listening to Beauty Truth. It's a podcast where I talk about my pursuit of finding beauty and truth, and my lifelong pursuit of finding beauty and truth, and my lifelong pursuit of creating beauty and truth. And I want to share that with you. I want to share beauty and truth with you, and I want to share with you how I create beauty and truth to help you do so as well, and it's brought to you by my music project Hard on I, indie rock from Jerusalem, Israel. I think it sounds like a mixture of Dinosaur Jr. and Sufjan Stevens. That's what I think, and uh, I'd like you to check it out. So visit haradonai.net, H-A-R-A-D-O-N-A-I.net to get the new live single, Let the Sword Do Double Damage, live at the base of Mount Zion for free exclusively for subscribers. So, um, one day, years before this uh, Bonnie Prince Billy episode, we wanted to go to a concert, some friends and I. And if Bonnie Prince Billy played in uh, Israel in 2007, uh, back in the late 90s, 
indie music or alternative music was almost non-existent. I mean, you couldn't find any... I, I, my friends and I who appreciated different music, who appreciated you know different kinds of music, we couldn't find anywhere to enjoy that. And so what you'd find, maybe you know this, you'd find yourself kind of joining things that aren't really your thing, but they're kind of, you know, we, you know, my friends and I who liked uh, independent music and alternative music got, got lumped together with the metalheads. So all of a sudden it's like we're hanging with the heavy metal people and we're into heavy metal events. So it's okay, kind of, you know, but I found myself getting more into punk music and uh, the punk music scene. And for some reason, punk music scenes seem to exist everywhere. Now, they're not big always, you know, but there's like punk music like in every country, as far as I've heard stories, you know, all kinds of third world countries and stuff that have these like obscure, you know, countries under totalitarian regimes that have these obscure punk rock movements and they're reaching out through the internet and making changes and in the okay, so um, there was a punk rock show in Tel Aviv sometime in the late '90s and it was like this anomaly. It was like wow, punk rock show. Of course we're going. The band was some band, some punk band. You know, these guys are like punk lifers from like Minnesota or something called Code 13. And the only place where the place, the venue for this event was um, the head of the, sorry, the headquarters of the Communist Party <laughs> in Israel. It was like some sort of Communist Party headquarters. It looked like just some sort of community center. But in this was the only place where they, you know, where they put on the punk show. Talk about community. Now, I guess this is the point in the show where I say, I am not a communist. I'm not a red. But whatever. Uh, we went to this, uh, friends and I, we went to the show in Tel Aviv at the Communist Party headquarters, and it was a, it was a you know, it was a legit punk show. A lot of noise, equipment falling apart. I like it because the lights are on, you know, it's like a community center kind of thing. It's, it's, it's punk, you know, it's hardcore, that kind of thing. But in the midst of this strange mess, I saw something very simple, very small, that uh, really, um, really affected me. And what I saw was I saw a sticker on the drum set. Uh, of the band. And the sticker said a bad word, the F word, F Victory Records. That's what the sticker said. Now, I don't know if anybody here knows what Victory Records uh, is or was. I don't know what's up with Victory Records today. But Victory Records, back then, to me, that was like one of the mainstays of punk music. I mean, Victory Records was like the most punk and authentic thing around. And all of a sudden, I'm at a punk show and I see a sticker that says F Victory Records. And then it hit me. It's just, it showed me like, nothing is punk enough. You know, nothing, uh, someone's always going to say, you know, they're not like me. You know, I'm going to draw the line. The, you know, maybe we're into punk, but we're not like Victory Records. Victory Records isn't cool now. I, I don't know. And it really occurred to me, as I started that stick, I realized this punk thing is not a sustainable community. This punk thing is not going to bring the change in the world that I'm looking for. It's not going to take me uh, where I need to be. So in the punk music scene and the indie music scene, community only goes so far. We have to get transactional in order to survive. Got to sell drinks to keep a roof over our heads. We got to uh, play shows to get paid. Got to collaborate 
and other entertainment events and municipal art projects and so on and so forth in order to get paid. And that's okay. And some, somewhat okay. In many, most of what I'm talking about is okay. But it's transactional. You still need a transformational community to, to carry you through life, to steward you, and help you get through life. You know, if Bonnie Prince Billy was sitting in my home, I would have no problem. He was in my home. I would have no, I had no problem giving him a glass of whiskey. If we're sitting in a community drinking whiskey, we know to look at each other and say, hey guys, let's keep it cool in moderation. You've had enough. We make a big deal, or I made a big deal, about uh, a transactional alcohol at a congregational setting. You know, I made a big deal about introducing a bottle of whiskey into that congregational setting concert hall. But nobody makes a big deal if people from my community go to the grocery store and buy a six-pack of beers. It's not really a big deal. Which brings me to the world of startups. Um, startup, the startup world that uh, we hear about a lot today, is another expression of this kind of community like I saw in punk music and like I saw in indie music. There's this kind of uh, startup community. And a few years ago, I started working in these startup hubs, these co-working spaces, and I've been to a few. And maybe you, you who are listening, you know what I'm talking about. Going co-working spaces here, co-working spaces there. Uh, and I happen to live in a real cool city in terms of co-working spaces. Maybe your city uh, where you live has some cool co-working spaces too. There's this buzz, there's this excitement. And uh, the last co-working space that I worked at was subsidized by the city and a nonprofit organization. So again, you get that community feeling. It was transactional, you pay money to go there, but there's people who want you to succeed. They want to encourage startups in Jerusalem. And when I got there, one of the first things they asked, they were like, you know, what can you do for the community? Can you teach? Uh, can you do a design work or something uh, for the community? And it made me think, and you know, uh, once again, this is kind of like a, this is trying to be a community environment. And it is successful to a degree. It is successful to a degree. And as I worked at this hub, there were some people who wanted just to go and get their work done, just to ship their lines of code or whatever. And there were other people that just couldn't sit still until they knew the community was doing something. They were not at ease until they knew that people had what they needed. Um, there was somebody who was very nice to me. They, she could see that I had hearing loss, and she wanted, out of this kind of community heart, to help me better experience my uh, time in the Startup Hub. And I thought to myself, this is all great, but I just got to get work done. I, I don't have time for community events. And uh, I could tell that I'm, 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 the Startup Hub is a sort of tension. It's a tension between a transactional community and a transformational community. There's a tension there. Who will win? The transformation or the transaction? I don't know. We're dealing with it in life. You ever heard of WeWork? WeWork is one of the biggest companies today. WeWork just opened up in, uh, in my cities, right next to me right now as I speak. There's an interesting article by Nicholas Hune Brown. I think he wrote it for The Verve. And he talked about his experience in a WeWork. I think it was in Toronto. But um, 
he describes that he's like in this real hipster place and it's really fun and it's this really cool environment. But he's getting pulled towards these uh, events and, you know, uh, this kind of community thing. Let's do community, you know. But ultimately, these community things, there were people working in these community things hard to get you to drink their craft beer and to get you to eat their gourmet food truck food. It was transactional. They were community events, but they were, they, they were used as transactional opportunities for local vendors. Again, that tension between transaction and transformation exists in the startup world. Recently, I was looking up a website uh, of a crypto, about, looking about cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. That's a buzzword for you. And I found some payment processor company. Wow, payment processor company. I, it looked like Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. When I went to their website, I saw all these hipsters and t-shirts and all this street art, and I saw so many pictures of pool tables, people playing on a pool table. This is a payment processor's website. You know, in the 80s, there'd be like an ad in National Geographic of some dude in a blue suit, you know, maybe some lady in a pink dress. I'm not saying, that's just what it looked like back then. And, uh, you know, uh, your money is safe with us, some sort of slogan, and that's it. But I go to this payment processor website today, and it just looked like, um, you know, Never Neverland or something. These young people, hip people. And I'm thinking, why does a payment processor website need to show a bunch of photos of hipsters with street art playing pool? And I think I realize what's going on. That startups aren't just startups. Startups aren't just transactional things. They're a new expression of life. Startups are like mini countries. These like these new mini countries. Corporations are now like these new mini countries. And people who want jobs at, want jobs at these places are like refugees, economical, cultural refugees lined up at the fences peeking in to see these cool workspaces with the street art and the cappuccino on tap and, uh, and the, uh, the pool tables saying, just let me in. Let me through the fence. Let me, you know, do customer support at your startup. Let me, you know, uh, let me do data entry at your startup just so I can go to work in this nice place. People are uh, hungry for community. And community to a large degree, has shifted to these strange workplaces, these unique workplaces. Now, I bring all this up to help us understand that there's a difference between transactional surroundings and transformational surroundings. And as great as the intentions are, transactional surroundings remain transactional surroundings and as, and if as long as that's the case, you're going to need a transformational surrounding. So if you're part of some cool music scene, you know, be a part of that cool music scene. Jeff Goins, in his wonderful book, Real Artists Don't Starve, which as I speak right now is on sale, great, you know, is on sale on an Amazon Kindle store, if you're interested. That's going to put, going to put a link in the show notes in the resources so you can check it out. But he talks about the importance of finding your scene, finding your environment as an artist. So I encourage you to find that environment. But you may get disappointed if you're looking for your life to get transformed. It's okay. 
you're going to need a transformational community. You're going to need a community that knows um, what life was like before the invention of indie rock music or before the invention of skateboarding or whatever it is that your community is built on. You're going to need a, a community that has grandmas and grandpas in it. And you're going to need a community that has babies in it. You have to understand the course of life, the, tra the, the turnover of the generations, because that is a safe place to have a glass of whiskey. You're listening to Beauty Truth. I'm Adam Lee Rosenfeld, where I talk about my pursuit of finding beauty and truth in life. Brought to you by my music project, Hard and I, Indie rock from Jerusalem, Israel, that to me sounds like a mix between Dinosaur Jr. and Sufjan Stevens. Visit haradonai.net, H-A-R-A-D-O-N-A-I.net to get the new live single, Let the Sword Do Double Damage, live from the base of Mount Zion, exclusively for subscribers. Today, uh, I'm going to leave you with some stuff. First, I want to talk about this week's playlist. If you've been uh, listening to the podcast, you can visit the show notes and you can check out uh, uh, the, the playlist that I have for this week, uh, some extra music there. And this week's uh, playlist is, uh, I'm calling it, I might change the name, but I'm calling it Future Beards. I think that's a fun name. And it's just where I showcase uh, some singer-songwriters that I appreciate. I don't, uh, how can I say... I got, I got a little tired of singer-songwriter music over the years. You know, the, the guy with the acoustic guitar or the girl with the acoustic guitar. Uh, I used to love that stuff, and it just didn't get new for me. So uh, I kind of did find some stuff that I really like, and it turns out a lot of these guys share my faith, which is, which is cool because they share the same concept of truth. And um, I don't know if everybody does, but I'm putting it together, and I'm putting it in a, po in, in a, in a playlist called... So far, unless I change it, called Future Beards. You can check it out in the show notes. And I'm going to leave you with my song about community. A song that I really think uh, touches on the heart of uh, transformational community. Uh, I came out with it a few years ago. It was something that it was just kind of like a home recording experiment. But I love how it turned out. I let, it sounds like just sounds like, I don't know, playing video games in a vacuum cleaner with electric guitars. And it's called The Truths in Us Get on the Bus. Thank you for listening. Keep it real, y'all. <laughs>